Coming to you live from the Venetian Hotel in Las Vegas and Money 2020, this is Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance, where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate and investigate, actionable insights, unscripted banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, kick up your feet. Here we go. If you're looking to grow your digital banking business, check out Lemonade LXP, the digital growth platform for financial institutions and fintechs. Lemonade LXP has both ingredients you need to drive digital growth, a learning experience platform that uses daily micro-learning to give staff the knowledge and confidence they need to promote and support your digital capabilities, and a digital adoption platform that supports your digital capabilities with technology walkthroughs that you can author in just minutes. So if you're rolling out new technology, merging with or acquiring another FI, or just looking to drive digital banking growth, you gotta drink the lemonade. For more information, check out Lemonade LXP at www.lemonadelxp.com. Thanks for tuning in to another episode live from the Venetian in Las Vegas. I was just having a conversation with the guest we're going to have today about how the vibe here is somewhat more subdued than in conventions past, but there is still an excitement. Some of it going on behind the scenes in meetings, obviously the discussions about AI. A lot of times I'm very cynical about those discussions because it tends to be a lot of buzzword. But this year, that's a real buzz, and it's going to change the industry maybe not in the immediate future, quite possibly in the longer term. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. In the meantime, a guest that I was super geeked that we could get on at the last minute, and here we are, and that's Randy Kern. Randy is the chief technology officer at Marketa, and he's based in San Francisco. Marketa excels in bringing speed and efficiency to card issuing and payment processing with the world's first open API platform. Built from the ground up, and we'll cover both of those items in the podcast, to power an innovative payment experience for many of the apps and services consumers enjoy daily. As Marketa CTO, going on three years, Randy brings significant experience designing and building large software products, leading development teams, and focusing product design. And for those techies who know what these acronyms mean, Randy's specialties include C+, .NET, C, hashtag, Python, DHTML, XHTML, and also performance and scalability. Randy, welcome to Bankadelic. Thank you, Lou. It's great to be here. I appreciate the time today. And I, I'm fascinated that uh, you managed to find that particular bio on me. I have no idea how old some of that was. Yeah. Reporter magic. <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> Brings back some amazing uh, and also terrifying memories. Yeah. Well, we'll get to one of those later on in the podcast. Um, Definitely amazing, maybe terrifying, but I don't mean to scare you. My Halloween mask will be scary enough. I just use my face. (laughs) Um, So there was a huge announcement that came in the context of the conference, and that is the new credit card platform. It's a customer loyalty breakthrough, frankly. And I'd love it if you could 
get us under the hood. Tell us about it both from a 10,000-foot point of view and then being the CTO, what's some of the technological wrinkles that make this new? No, it's awesome. I'm so excited about what we launched this week. Uh, so, you know, as you probably saw, Marketa launched a new credit card processing platform, an end-to-end experience to allow brands to do really a completely different kind of card program, owning the customer experience from the very beginning all the way through very specific and customized loyalty and rewards. It's super, super exciting. And it's the culmination of an acquisition that we completed uh, earlier this year in February of Power Finance. Mm. So it's fantastic to get that out in the light of the day. Yeah, so it sounds like sometimes with acquisitions, there may be an uncertainty or the integration is difficult. But it sounds like in this case, it was 2 plus 2 equals 10. You know, it really was the perfect combination. Uh, at Marketa, we had built some of the processing capabilities for credit cards already, and we were using some external partners. Uh, Power had really focused on the card program management aspects, and so we really were the just perfect combination. Obviously, there's still a lot of integration work to do, uh, hence why it took us you know, several months since close to get this out. Uh, but no, it's been magic, and, and the folks who have joined us are spectacular payments folks and spectacular engineers. Yeah, and that's the ultimate combination. And boy, people would have to be very unreasonable to expect that the integration happens like that, right? So, Oh, you, you'd be surprised at what people expect sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Lou, the podcast host, he's debonair and exciting and knows everything. Well, sorry. <laughs> Although we work on it, and we're constantly iterating. And exactly. There was something in the description, and I have heard this as a theme with other companies, and I'm going to say companies that I really, really admire, that they do not take the approach of, let's say, creating bells and whistles and grafting it onto legacy technology, which, you know, the metaphor I use, we talked about it earlier, is you've got a Ferrari engine, now let's put it in a horse and buggy. This is from the ground up. And some of my listeners may not yet be familiar with why that is such a superior approach. So if you can, describe to me a little bit about what building something from the ground up means to Marketa, why you did it, and what it is that you built that you think gives you guys an edge. No, that's fantastic, Lou. So, you know, you could do some really cool stuff to your point, just sort of grafting bells and whistles onto something else. But after a while, it catches up to you. And that while might be pretty quick, might be six months, might be a year, uh, but you will certainly reach the point where you can no longer innovate. You can no longer kind of bring your customers the rich, scaled, trusted, sort of uh, complete experience that you really want. What we're able to do by sort of building from the ground up, by starting from scratch, uh, is really have a much more cohesive and complete offering for our customers, which in turn means their customers, the cardholders, get a much more integrated, much more complete, much more personalized and dynamic experience. That frankly, if I had to go to, you know, coming back to acquisition and integration, if I had to go tie, you know, a couple hundred different vendors and subsystems and legacy systems together, we would never get that kind of agility. We never get that kind of complete, rich experience. Oh, yeah. It's almost like you would be inheriting brick walls from the get-go. You know, it's a great metaphor. I'd spend all my time putting ladders up and kind of running up and over them as opposed to really being able to have, you know, what we're about to have in a month here in Vegas, you know, a, a racetrack for Formula One right downtown. Yeah. 
And so in terms of that, and one of the things that I find really impressive is that it's not just built the ground up, but it's built from the ground up in the context of what you guys do. So since you've done this and now you've got this announcement, maybe you can give me and the listeners some context about what, well, maybe we can use the phrase might be broken, but what some of the big challenges in the industry have been in so far as credit cards, payments that has held it back and what you think might need to happen to address those roadblocks, those issues. Well, let's remember it wasn't too long ago when credit cards were operated with, uh, you know, carbon paper and telephones and fax machines. Yeah. So we, we've come a long, long way already. Um, but let's, let's think about, you know, the normal kind of co-brand experience someone has today. <clears throat> Maybe you have the uh, United card, something to that effect. You really have no connection or experience with the brand. You know, yes, their name is on the card. Maybe their name is printed on the statement. But the reality is you're interacting with that bank a lot more than you're interacting with the brand. And as a consumer, as a cardholder, I actually don't care about that bank. I have that co-brand because the brand means something to me. Mm-hmm. The rewards I earn, the loyalty, I, uh, the loyalty points I get, whatever that experience is, my connection as a human, as a consumer, is with that brand, not the bank. Yes. But every way that this has been built in the past, really prior to what we're bringing out uh, this week, is all focused on that bank. And they've done a great job, but that's not the consumer experience that our brands want to offer. Yeah. Now, insofar as how the financial institutions can do a better job, and in some cases are doing a better job, we've got the issue of data, right? So I'm sure you know about some of the issues in the past. The banks were sitting on the data. They had no idea what to do with it. The banks were sitting on the data. They decided that for some reason letting it loose was a crime and they weren't going to do that and yet it wasn't doing anything to begin with. And now it seems to be that one of the issues with the data is organizing it, cleaning it up and empowering it. What are some of your views on that? What needs to happen? Well, I, uh, I've got a bunch of background in data, web search in particular at Microsoft. I worked on Bing search from, from the very beginning. Uh, which you know, at the end of the day is a machine learning and big data problem. That's all web search really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so data and thinking about how to get real value and real customer benefit from data is something that I care about and have worked on for you know, a couple of decades at this point. The trick, you know, we, if we think about the history of, of how the industry and how multiple industries, frankly, have thought about data, they started very much from this oh, we need to organize it and tidy it and do all this stuff and make it perfect before we try to ask a question of it. Ah. Kind of the very traditional business intelligence type approach. Um, that's hard. Certainly doesn't work when you're talking about the web as data. Uh, even if you're talking about card transaction data, you know, the, the variability in the way a merchant will code a transaction or, or the description, like it can be very, very hard to get perfectly clean data uh, from something like that. So what... The, the, through the advent of web search and kind of the breakthrough there in my mind was we stopped trying to categorize everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. We said, you know what? The web itself is somewhat self-categorizing. People's behavior is even more self-categorizing. So we'll just learn to spot those patterns and, and let those things bubble up. I think the same is very, very true in payments data. The same is very true in figuring out 
how best to support a consumer and offer some options that you know are, are in their best interest and most uh, advantageous both to the brand and to the consumer. So these more sort of emergent systems, AI-based kind of uh, open feedback learning, they can go a lot further than the sort of very heavily structured approach that a lot of institutions and enterprises have approached. And certainly banks, you know, being a regulated industry, being a spot where, you know, they've been in, in uh, really sort of a, a structured database view of the world for a very long time, it's very hard to break through and break past that. Yeah, it seems to me, and forgive me if this is a simplistic metaphor or analogy, that you want to have the house perfectly spotless from top to bottom before you ever have a guest come over. You might get kind of lonely. <laughs> yeah. I will have to share that information with people who clean our house. Anyway, <laughs> you mentioned Microsoft. Wow, you go back to 1993, from what I understand. So that's 30 years doing this. You not only have a breadth of experience then, but you've seen a lot happen. Maybe you can take me through some of the breakthroughs that you've seen that you felt were real game changers on the data side, the software development side, and how that brings us to where we are now. Ooh. Memory lane, my favorite. So there's obviously the technical breakthroughs. You know, the everything from chip architecture to storage architecture to networking in, in uh, large data centers that allow us to do things at a scale we couldn't before. Those are fantastic. And without those breakthroughs, I, many of the experiences you and I probably enjoy every day just wouldn't exist. But on top of that, there's been you know amazing breakthroughs in terms of the algorithms that we use to understand that data to surface useful insight and valuable things for a consumer. Um, and that's also made, you know, some, some of the academics that I've had the pleasure of working with over the years, truly, truly brilliant men and women uh, that really helped push the industry forward. But I think, you know, the, the guiding principle or, or the driving force, if you will, that's led to so much of this innovation and so much of this progress is really more a little bit of the... Uh, art of the possible, right? Is really kind of daydreaming about, let's not send people a paper statement. Let's have it show up on your phone and you can search and find anything. Let's, you know, just, just a desire to have a better experience as an individual and sort of consume our daily lives in a way that's a little less tedious, a little less error prone, uh, you know, just fits in a little more easily and, and frankly, takes a bit of burden off. Yeah. I mean, the thing that guys like you do, which is so essential and so needed, is answer these very complicated questions, ruminate. And I love the idea of thinking about what's possible. But on the front end of it with the consumer, it's simple. They want it simple. They want it two clicks, maybe three clicks. And, um, you know, marrying those things sounds like a little bit of a paradox. It's very challenging on the one hand, but on the other hand, it sounds like that's what Marquetta is shooting for and what you're shooting for. When it kind of comes back to your early comment about sort of uh, building from the ground up, you know, you start with a vision of, of the experience you want to give a person, a company, uh, then you kind of think about how you can push the state of the art and technology to actually produce that in the simplest, cleanest, uh, sort of purest expression possible. Then you figure out how to go make it work. 
And you know, they, there's a lot of time working with your colleagues. There's a lot of time kind of learning from the industry. There's a lot of time with whiteboards, just sort of daydreaming and thinking through problems. But it's also a lot of fun. Fun. I love it. That's what we try to do on the podcast. We have a motto the, or a tagline, the colorful side of finance. So we want to make it fun. There's not enough fun in this world. And, and a lot of it is solving puzzles and challenges. And I'm an OG, right, original gamer. So I go back to the days of Atari, and that was, of course, where Steve Jobs got his start. And it may be a bit of a stretch. I'm not so sure that it is, right, that a lot of the big advances in computer technology were pushed by the gamers. They wanted more realistic experiences. They wanted to try things. Geez, the first time somebody created a fantasy world on computer, realistic graphics, Mortal Kombat, <laughs> <laughs> when that came out. And I got to tell you, to this day, I've never been able to figure out Centipede. <laughs> These bugs come so fast. How do they expect anybody to last more than five minutes in that game? But really, they're obviously an adjunct, a sideline, but I think don't always get the credit they deserve for pushing things forward. So when I think of fun, that awakens a memory lane experience for me as well. I totally get that. My, uh, my first quote, game, uh, you know, video game, computer game, how you want to think about it, was on a Texas Instruments paper tape calculator. Wow. And this is my dad's calculator, and I, I, it was a programmable calculator, and I found a, a moon landing game. And so the, the way you played this game is it would print out your, your speed and, and distance from the surface, and you had to adjust your fuel burn rate and, like, land at an appropriately both quick enough pace, but also slow enough pace that you don't crash into the moon. So it, it was not an overly exciting game, and certainly the graphics left a lot to be desired. Uh, but no, I agree with you. Gaming has driven huge advancements in our industry, has, has thrown uh, some of the most creative and, and amazing programmers I know have come from gaming or, or still work in gaming. I mean, look, let the, uh, the, the real drive in AI to get today I don't think it would have been possible without all the work for graphics cards that you know now are obviously much more specialized for AI, but really started as parallel processors for graphics. Yeah, and there's a lot of talk today about NVIDIA making its advances, and they have a lot of background there. Now, you just mentioned AI, right? And this is one of those rare instances where the buzz term or the buzzword of a conference really seems to hold weight and substance. ChatGPT did a lot to awaken the conscious of, consciousness rather, of every man. Now they know what artificial intelligence can do. But you made a really interesting observation off mic, is that there needs to be a period of maturity. And this just isn't going to happen in 30 seconds. And people have to figure out the proper ways to apply AI, maybe you can flush that out for me because it sounded like a fascinating starting point and I didn't get to hear out the rest of what you might have been thinking. Yeah, and, and please don't ask me to predict when this is going to happen. Oh, so no, I won't. <laughs> I, I, I was at a, a, a small tech conference in uh, San Francisco about a month ago, and, and the, this was almost the only topic of discussion. It was hysterical because we were all, we, we were all basically saying, well, every time we've ever tried to figure out how quickly... AI or machine learning is going to move, we're wildly off. And in some cases, we, we, we've been way too optimistic and things have taken decades longer than it really did. In other cases, things popped up 
you know, in, in a couple of years that we all believed were decades of deep research away. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a, it has been at least a very emergent space, which frankly is kind of fun to be involved in. Um, I think we have some amazing, amazing technology today, whether it's, you know, traditional machine learning, quote, traditional machine learning, whether it's generative AI, you mentioned ChatGP, things of this, this nature. What you can do with these underlying technologies is incredibly impressive, and the pace of improvement in them just, frankly, seems like it continues to accelerate. What I think is interesting is where are we going to best use these things? How do we actually bring the most value to an average everyday consumer in context of something else. ChatGTP is fantastic. If I want to go, you know, have some editorial help, or there's there's a million and one scenarios where it's the perfect tool. But what I'm really, really interested in is embedding intelligence into our everyday experiences, much like we were talking about embedding cards into a brand, as opposed yeah. to sort of having a bank in the way. I want to embed intelligence into that everyday experience and provide just a, a truly, truly delightful experience. And what I love about being here is there's so many different trials going on. Every company is experimenting with this. Every entrepreneur has a, a slightly different view of how best to bring this to life. Uh, and so it's just so fun to see kind of the variety out there. Yeah, and the whole idea of fun and also the idea of sophisticated development of this technology seems to center on the question that AI itself can't answer, which is how. How do we apply this? What are the problems we're trying to solve starting there and then moving forward from that and figuring out how AI can be an effective partner? Absolutely. So, you know, some of the most interesting, for me at least in, in, in my career in technology, some of the most interesting breakthroughs are when someone you know, the, the, the technology has been sort of evolving, whether it was graphics for gaming, whether it was, you know, networking to, to kind of make the, the modern consumer internet a reality. Um, so the technology is evolving. But in parallel, we need folks who are really thinking about what's the value for a human? Yes. What's the value for a company, a consumer, and figuring out how to marry those things in a new, unique way? Yeah, otherwise it becomes a circus bear. Exactly. Juggling exactly. beach balls. Oh, that's so entertaining, but what's the bear going to help me do? Mm -hmm. Now, as we ride off into the sunset here, you've given a fascinating view of your experiences moving forward from the 90s to today. We know where Marquetta is now. We've got this announcement. And without asking you to do something you might be, <clears throat> pardon me, uncomfortable with, in terms of seeing the future, I would love to know, even in a general sense, you and I are sitting down, let's say, a year from now, what are the kinds of things that you would like to see in terms of where the technology is going, what it's able to do, and how you are excited to play a role in that, where you see your place in it? Mm, I love this. So, you know, they, there's there's a trend that that you know, throughout my entire career I've seen of, of sort of technology and, and, and the power of computation getting closer and closer to our daily life. And, you know, the most obvious example is, you know, you and I had, had uh, PCs at our desk not long ago that you certainly weren't going to stick in your backpack and take somewhere. You know, this, the, the monitor itself was two feet deep probably. <laughs> um, you know, then we got laptops, a lot more portable, a lot more personal. 
now we have phones. Like it, 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 this whole process just brings technology and very, very rich personal experiences closer and closer to our, our physical selves and, and to our everyday, everyday lives. Um, I actually think the card is a piece of technology that we've all been carrying around, whether it's a debit card or credit card. It's a really powerful piece of technology that we all carry around. You know, on average, we use three times a day, but it's been kind of boring. And it hasn't really, <laughs> you know, it, th- there's some amazing technology deep in the bowels that make that work for you and, and allow you to rely on that worldwide. Uh, but it really hasn't been a joyous consumer experience. And so especially sp- sitting here at Money 2020, I really want us to think about how that payment vehicle, how that card can become much more alive and much more dynamic and frankly, a source of inspiration and excitement and joy in a way that it never has been before. Surprise Surprise and delight, right? Exactly. It's a phrase that's used often, but I think that there's nothing more fun. I'm holding up my iPhone for the audio audience here that when this first came out, all the oohs and ahs at the Moscone Center when Jobs was ticking down, well, it'll do this, but there's more. It'll do this. And yeah, it was a technological marvel, but it was also incredibly useful, and people just went crazy. In Chicago at the Apple Store, the Jobs helped design, and they've since closed it up, which is sad. They've moved it down the block, but that's an iconic building. I remember people lining up for blocks Mm -hmm. to get one of these things. And while I wasn't one of those people who lined up and camped out like you do at a rock concert, I couldn't wait to get mine. And I've been, geez, going all the way back to iPhone 3. And it's because of that. It's that element. And in terms of surprise and delight and joyous experiences, it's very rare that I get to have a conversation with someone who has the deep technological background but relates it in everyday terms that connect to consumer experience. So, Randy, I want to thank you for making the time to be down here today. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure, Lou. Thanks. Randy Kern is the Chief Technology Officer at Marketa. He is based in San Francisco. Be sure to look for Randy on LinkedIn. You're listening to Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at NMD Plus, based in London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. If you like what you've heard here, be sure to check out NMD Plus's financial technology podcast, Dave and Darm Demystify, with hosts Dave Wallace and Darmesh Mystery. Bankadelic. Sponsored by the William Mills Agency. For close to 40 years, the William Mills Agency has served hundreds of companies that provide a wide range of products and services in the banking, payments, mortgage, credit union, and related markets. The William Mills Agency is the largest provider of PR and marketing services for companies that market to the financial industry. For more information, visit williammills.com. Have you thought about how you'll gain the upper hand in your search for stellar talent? Banker Hire leverages a niche industry with uncommon insight. They're committed to finding you qualified commercial and community banking, lending, 
compliance, HR, retail, and wealth talent. BankerHire prides itself on listening and solving problems. Their approach is 100% hands-on and heads-up, giving you what you need to make smart, actionable decisions. For more information, visit BankerHire.com. With more than 1.2 million page views annually, Talking Biz News is the go-to source for happenings in business journalism. Whether you're a PR professional, a business journalist, or someone just breaking into the field, TBN is a source that you cannot do without. Whether you're following the Washington Post, New York Times, local media outlets, or some feisty news startup, Talking Biz News has you covered. Job openings are also listed and updated every day on the TBN website. Be sure to sign up for your free subscription to the TBN newsletter at Talking Biz News. That's Talking B-I-Z News.com. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Ken Montone. Our business consigliere, the one and only Rob Gaynor. Dude, I totally got into the show. Thanks as always to the William Mills Agency for their generous support. Thanks also to Banker Hire, Lemonade LXP, and Talking Biz News, a division of Vested LLC. I'm Lou Carlozo. You can catch me on LinkedIn and someday on my Vaudeville YouTube channel, Rinka Dink Dinkin. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.